on in. Lovely to see you all. And um, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, well, me and Jesus, and you, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil and joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So we're in this, um, we seem to be in this moment as a, well, I was going to say as a family, but I don't think it's actually as a family. I think it's as a nation and even the world. We're in this period of, there's a release of grief and mourning that's flowing. And um, everywhere I go, when I talk about this sense of the moment, it gets recognition. People see it, they get it. Uh, they become aware of it. And... Um, because what's wonderful for us is we've been talking about it for about two years. Um, so we ho- are hopefully a little bit ahead of the, of the game, which is wonderful for us and for you. And um, Paul was talking about it last week, and I know a number of people were touched in various ways in our time together. I know through the week as well. I know somebody kind of texted me and went, oh, we're just listening to this song. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm aware of this heaviness and weight, and I just start weeping. And I'm going, well, that's beautiful, isn't it? That's exactly what God said was going to happen. So praise God. You're okay, give it to him, it'll be wonderful. And that may well carry on, but this morning I want to stay on that theme, but also explore um, some of the ways we can help ourselves navigate this time, and some of the ways we can help ourselves enter deeper into this new sense of rest that's there in Jesus. Um, Because much of of what God's doing right now, I think, is about teaching us how to learn to be at peace, to be at rest, in the moments we find ourselves. Not, not desperately wanting for a new moment to appear, not desperately wanting to get out of this current place, but actually learning to just enjoy where we are, despite the challenges and the difficulties. And, um, and much of it is about learning to rest in who we are and accepting who we are and how we find ourselves in that moment. And so I've talked a bit about this sense of accepting where we're at, of not beating ourselves up for where we are at, uh, by accepting ourselves. And, and really, I think it's really, really key, so I'm going to keep talking about it, because I think this ability to accept where we find ourselves, but still have faith for a future. So we're not talking about just kind of giving up and going, well, it's where I am, and this is who God made me to be. No, but we're talking about learning to rest in a whole new dimension as well as our faith for the future. Because I think if you, you know, we talked a lot about a new era and all that sort of stuff. And I think you could, you could sum it up in one way. If the old era was about faith, the new era is about trust and rest. So if what, where we came from was this place of faith and going, okay, we're believing, we're believing, and we're working hard, and we're praying, and we're declaring, and we're standing, and all that stuff. And if you've learned that, that's great. If not, you've got a bit of catching up to do. But, if, but actually, this new era, I think, is much more about operating from faith, but that faith coming from a much deeper place of rest. Just a much deeper place of, it's going to be fine. In fact, the only thing I keep saying to people these days, the only piece of pastoral advice I seem to have is, it's going to be okay. Literally all I keep saying to people, it's all God keeps telling me to give, it's going to be okay. And for some reason it seems to help, (laughs) which is wonderful, isn't it? If only I'd known that for the last 10 years. Um, But actually, there is, there is something. And of course, what's incredible is as you learn to be in this place of rest, what you find is your faith has more authority and more power. 
because it comes from a wholly different place. Because you're not trying anymore, you just are in it. And you've still got that same faith and rest, it's just coming from a different place. But you see, it's not possible to move in a deeper place of rest and trust without a deeper acceptance and grace for where we find ourselves as individuals and families. So this morning, I'm going to briefly review something I said last time about accepting yourself. Then I'm going to remind you of the difference between faith and trust and why trust is so important. Then we're going to move on to two traps we fall into that, we, uh, that cause us to lose grace for ourselves. And then we're going to finish with two questions that are great to ask for having grace for ourselves. But uh, before all that, I want to show you a little video. Uh, it's a clip of a man called Brennan Manning who has uh, passed away now. He was an alcoholic for many years uh, and described himself as a recovering alcoholic for most of his life. Um, he uh, came to know Jesus in the most beautiful and profound way and he wrote a number of books including the Ragamuffin Gospel which is a wonderful book exploring the unconditional love of God and how God found him. Um, but this is uh, a little clip of Brennan Manning sharing. In the 48 years since I was first ambushed by Jesus in a little chapel in the Allegheny Mountains of Western Pennsylvania, and in literally the thousands of hours of prayer, meditation, silence, and solitude over those years, I am now utterly convinced that on Judgment Day, the Lord Jesus is going to ask each of us one question and only one question. Did you believe that I loved you? That I desired you? That I waited for you day after day? That I longed to hear the sound of your voice? The real believers there will answer, yes, Jesus. I believe in your love and I try to shape my life as a response to it. But many of us who are so faithful in our ministry, in our practice, in our church going, are going to have to reply, <clears throat> well, frankly, no, sir. I mean, I never really believed it. I mean, I heard a wonderful, a lot of wonderful sermons and teachings about it. In fact, I gave quite a few myself. But I always thought that was just a way of speaking, a kindly lie, some Christian's pious pat on the back to cheer me on. And there's the difference between the real believers and the nominal Christians that abound in our churches across the land. No one can measure like a believer the depth and the intensity of God's love, but at the same time, no one can measure like a believer the effectiveness of our gloom, pessimism, low self-esteem, self-hatred, and despair that block God's way to us. Do you see why it is so important to lay hold of this basic truth of our faith? Because you're only going to be as big as your own concept of God. Remember the famous line of the French philosopher, Blaise Pascal? God made man in his own image, and man returned the compliment. We often make God in our own image, and he wants us to be as fussy, rude, narrow-minded, legalistic, judgmental, unforgiving, unloving as we are. In the past couple of three years, I have preached the gospel to the financial community in Wall Street, New York City, the airmen and women of the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, a thousand physicians in Nairobi. I've been in churches in Bangor, Maine, Miami, Chicago, St. Louis, Seattle, San Diego, and honest, the God of so many Christians I meet is a God who is too small for me because he is not the God of the Word. He is not the God revealed by and in Jesus Christ. 
who this moment comes right to your seat and says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin, shame, dishonesty, and degraded love that has darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship, and my word is this. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be, because you're never gonna be as you should be. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. So good. Play it sink in a minute. I dare you to trust. This is from Jesus, that I love you just as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be, at least not on this earth. Oops. And really, this is why I keep going on and on and on about the ways we beat ourselves up because of what we should be. Because you will never end up being what you should be. Because even <clears throat> the should be you think you're going to be, when you get there, you'll think you should be somewhere else. And then when you reach that, so you're never going to be who you should be until, until you leave this earth, then you'll be as you should be. But that might take a journey as well because it may not happen instantaneously. But one of the things we've got to learn is to accept ourselves as we find ourselves. Then Paul writes in Romans 15, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order of being praised to God. And Paul's line of thought starts way back in chapter 14. And he gives all these examples of how kingdom people should interact with each other. He talks about food and special days and essentially how we can have all these little differences between us. Something this, something that. But what's interesting is you read through 30 verses from chapter 14 through to 15 verse 7 where Paul makes this kind of summary statement about acceptance. And what you find is he suggests the opposite for accepting one another is to condemn and pass judgment on one another. And of course what we said a few weeks ago was the first other you have to accept and stop casting judgment on is yourself. You can't actually learn to accept anybody else until you've accepted you. And you can't learn to accept, to stop judging and condemning other people until you've stopped judging and condemning you. Until you live in the fullness of the complete lack of condemnation and judgment that God's got, you won't manage it with anybody else. So it's got to start with you. And in truth, one of the greatest keys to be able to rest in and with Jesus is to learn to accept yourself as you are in the moment you find yourself. Of course, the opposite of that is to condemn and judge yourself. And beat yourself up. Is anybody any good at beating themselves up? Okay. There you go. So we're all really good at something we're not meant to be good at. Which means we must have some unlearning to do. Because right there in that moment when you judged and condemned yourself for who you were not or who you were, you made it incredibly difficult to rest in Jesus and to enjoy being with him. Because, of course, Jesus does not condemn you, nor does he judge you for the state of your heart or your life. He just doesn't. It's not there. It doesn't exist. There is no judgment from him. Just, and if you don't believe me, read about his interactions with people. Just read the Gospels and see how Jesus actually interacts with people and whether at any moment he condemns any of the people who come to him, who actually want to be with him, not the ones who are trying to trick him, but the ones who he actually wants to be with. He never, ever does it. He meets them exactly where they're at, 
and then takes them to a whole new place. Every single time. One of the biggest stumbling blocks for most people to actually find a deep sense of rest in Jesus is his ability to not judge the state of their hearts and their lives, but to accept it as it is. And we said this last time I talked, if we find the rest we so desperately need, we must learn to view our hearts and our lives through the lens of the grace and compassion of Jesus. This, for me, has been transformative in these last couple of years especially. Absolutely transformative. In all sorts of ways and, and different places. Because it just feels like, well, I've just given up beating myself up, really. Because I've realized it's a complete waste of time and energy. I mean, I learn. Of course, I learn. We've got to learn. In fact, the only thing you can do by looking back, and the only thing you're meant to do is learn from your mistakes, from the things you got wrong, because you, you're meant to learn from it, so you do better next time. But what we do is we maybe learn, but more than that, we spend so much time in the past beating ourselves up for the past, which, which proves what? Nothing. Has it ever brought you life, grace, joy, goodness? Has any of that stuff ever helped you whatsoever? Because it didn't help me. So I've just stopped it. Because I've realized that he didn't do it to me. And I'm meant to be looking at myself through him. And of course, it took me a little while to do it. But it's hugely helpful. So, here's the thing. Right now, Jesus accepts you right where you are, just as you are right now. Your task is to learn to see yourself with the same grace and acceptance that he sees you. That's the key. So, I've shared with this before, but I've come with a relation. You remember, you, you remember the story of Jesus in the boat? We've talked about it many, 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 many times. Um, and Jesus is in the boat. He's sleeping in a pillow. The disciples are all stressed, and he stands up and sorts out the wind and the waves. And we've talked about how I, the more I've thought about it, I'm more in awe of a man who can sleep in a boat, which is almost something with water, than I am in speaking at it. And for me, this is a brilliant analogy, because... You've got to remember, most of those disciples were fishermen. They were used to the Sea of Galilee and all it could throw at them. But they are panicking in this storm. And of course, that's what we do. When, when the storms of life come our way, sometimes we panic. Sometimes we, we go, I don't know what to do. But Jesus, it seems, in the middle of a storm, was able to rest and be at peace and care. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like him. Which means when things go wrong, or I hear bad news, I want that same peace to live on the inside of me. I don't want my response to be, oh no, it's all terrible, what's going to go on now? I want it to be, okay. Well, that's happened. I can't deny it. Most of the time I can't change it, I do all about it, often immediately. But I want to be in a place, and I'm getting to that place more and more, where I'm like, Okay, that's happened. Now what do I do? And sometimes the answer is, keep your head on the pillow. You see, one of the other things I'm learning is that I'm not meant to fix everything. And Jesus is showing me by putting me in lots of situations that I can't fix, so I'm having to learn it. Because <laughs> he has a way of doing that. But, but faith, so faith, 
is about speaking to the storm to still it. Faith is moving in Jesus, creating and directing this power of his spirit. So, so in that story, Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And, and I've spent the last 10, 15 years probably learning what it means to move in faith, to stand, to proclaim, to declare, to all that sort of stuff. And I've done it and I've seen it and we've seen miracles as we've done it. And you've done it as well. But actually trust, trust is very different. Trust is learning to be content and at peace. Recognizing that you are looked after and cared for even when it doesn't look or feel like it. Trusting in God is resting in the love of God. Trusting in God is making a conscious and continual choice to believe that he's with you and that he has your best interest at heart, that he's heard your cry even when it feels like it's falling on deaf ears. That he sees your pain and is working to heal it no matter what it looks or feels like in the present. And the reason it's really important to move in trust is because many of the storms we are experiencing and I think will experience can't actually be stilled by faith speaking at them. There's a whole new sense of something going on when actually in the past we'd see a situation be like, right, what do we do, Lord? Okay, we gather some people, we pray, we fast, we kind of go for it. And there will be a place for that. But actually, in a number of situations... There's going to be a place where the answer is not to do that. It's to find some rest and allow God to do what God does. Which feels alien because guess what? It feels like you're not doing anything. But that's because resting is the hardest thing to do. Because you know what? It's much easier to get some people... Well, it's not, but it's easier to get some people to pray because then you're doing something, aren't you? Right, yeah. We'll get fired up. We'll get some scriptures. We'll, We'll fast. We'll pray. We'll get some declarations. We'll read them. That's the, well, then you're doing something, aren't you? That's great. That makes you feel good. Okay, but just, just learning to rest, that feels like, what the chuff is that all about? No, but, but that's about learning to rest. Perhaps the answer to some storms is not to storm the gates of heaven. It's to ride them out by learning to rest our head on the pillow. Because here's the thing. Some storms will pass. And all you've got to do is ride them out. The trick, if you like, is understanding which storms you need to speak to and which storms you need to hunker down and ride out, resting in the truth that God has you and will get you through it. That's the trick. And it's really important that we learn which is which and we take the opportunity to learn the lessons. Because if we manage to learn the lessons of resting, then going forward, when storms do come that need speaking to, the power in our words and declarations will be so much greater than before and we'll see much greater storms stop quicker than ever before because our words will come from a deeper place of rest and therefore peace and authority. So what I'm thinking is God's going, okay, you've learned this bit, now I want you to learn this bit. Because further over here, there are some storms that you are going to have to speak to, but if you speak to them out of the unrest of your heart, they're not going to move. But if you learn to rest and then you speak to this thing, then it'll move. So, and there's something deeply uh, disquieting, I don't even know if that's a word, but like unnerving, deeply unnerving about going, okay, I'm just going to rest in it. I have to say, a lot of my prayer these days is moving towards uh, something I've never really done before, but I, I can only call it like imaginative prayer. So, so, so before, if I was going to pray for some answers, I'd be like, Father, I speak to a body in the name of Jesus. I say, it's going to come in at land. I'd be doing all that. 
And if you've not done that, you probably need to learn to do that. But now, I sit, and I say, I just imagine Samantha in a house, and I imagine Jesus walking towards her and just putting his hands out, and she stands up, and he walks with her to the sink, and she manages to make a cup of tea, and then he holds her hands, and he walks her back to her chair. That's my prayer right now. And there's something beautiful about it. Because, of course, it's faith because I'm seeing something. But it's very different. Sometimes I fall asleep as well because I do it with my eyes shut. But that doesn't really matter. Because I'm just enjoying being with him. I, 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 anyways, okay. We could talk about that for a lot more. But we're not going to because I want to really talk about two traps that we fall into that stop us having grace for ourselves and having that rest. First of all, we're going to call it the presence trap. Because a very large part of our journey is learning to be present to the moment and present to ourselves in the moment. How many of you know you can be present but very not present? How many of you know you can have a conversation with people and they're in front of you but they're not actually there? Okay. So, Luke 10. Jesus arrives at a village where a lady named Martha opens her home to him. And Mary sits at Jesus' feet. This is Martha's sister. Sits at Jesus' feet, listening to everything he says, while Martha's distracted by all the preparations. And eventually it winds Martha up so much that she's doing all the prep for the meal while her sister just sits and listens to Jesus, that she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Jesus answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or actually, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, this is really interesting, because I don't think it was that Martha was doing the wrong things. After all, Martha's inviting Jesus into her home for hospitality. So somebody needs to make some food. Somebody needs to lay the table. So it's not that Martha was necessarily doing the wrong things. But I think her issue is more the fact that she wasn't present. She wasn't present to herself, her own feelings of resentment, perhaps her own martyr complex, her need to be needed. But what Jesus understood is that if Martha is not present to herself and to the moment, she could not be truly present to any of her guests in any healing way, and neither could she be truly present to Jesus who sat before her. You see, it's fascinating to me, and I've had it a number of times, where people invite you around. And when people invite me around, I want to be with them. I want, I want them to be present with me. But sometimes they get so bothered about getting everything right that they're not even there and there's a beautiful spread laid out but they're not there and it's like well I didn't come to look at food I came to look at you I came with you of course some people manage to do both but honestly I'd much rather have fish finger butties and you'd be there than have a beautiful table led as long as there's white bread and tomato sauce because that's how you got our fish finger butties okay just just to be clear okay it's just important you have white bread and tomato sauce with fish finger butties But Jesus affirms Mary because of how she's doing in that moment. Mary is being present to Jesus and presumably present to herself. She understands the one thing that makes everything else happen. And uh, Richard Rohr in his, his brilliant book says this, What is true for Mary and Martha is true for us as well. Only one thing is necessary, Jesus says. If you are present, you will eventually and always experience the presence of Jesus. If you are present... 
to the moment and to yourself, you will always experience the one who is always present. But most of us don't live in the present moment. Most, most of you in your heads are not living in this moment right now. Most of you are living in yesterday or the day before or last week or last year or last decade. Because you're beating yourself up and worrying about it. And what about this and what about that? And I didn't do this and I didn't do that. And I got this wrong and I got that wrong. The rest of you, the bulk of you, are living in tomorrow. And what's going to happen tomorrow? And how am I going to do this? And what have I got to do about that? And I've got this to do. I've got... But actually, Jesus continually lived and Martha gets applauded because she was living right in this present moment. She was not living in the anxiety of tomorrow and she was not living in the condemnation of yesterday. She was living in this moment. And to trust in the love of God is to learn to live more and more in the present moment. To learn to be present to the presence of Jesus who is present in every moment. And we do this by learning that the past is the past and all you can do is learn from it. That's it. Just end off. It's happened, it's gone, you're never going to get it back. Of course, there may well be consequences that you may have to deal with, but it still happened and it's still finished and it's still done with. The only thing you can do is deal with the consequences and learn from it. That's it, full stop. No amount of guilt or condemnation will change anything, least of all your hearts. Well, it will change your heart. It'll, it'll turn it not in a way Jesus wants it turned. We must give ourselves grace for all the previous moments. Listen, you are a human being and you have done your best to live life the best way you can. And that's okay. You have not lived life the best way you can because you're a human being and you learn how to live life. Therefore, you've made some errors and some mistakes and some things have happened to you. That is okay. And that's it. That's all there is to say. That's it. It's the hardest thing in the world to live in it though. We also live in the moment by understanding the future is yet to happen. And there only really is the moment we are in. I mean, honestly, how much time and energy do you spend worrying about things that never take place? Never take place. Of course, we plan, and we, we have visions, we have dreams, we do all sorts of things, of course. It's not like I'm going, okay, well, I'm just in this moment, I'm not, of course. I've got dreams and visions and plans and things I'm thinking about and doing, but I'm doing my best even then to go, okay, but I'm in this moment. And yeah, I, I want to go here and I want to see this and I want to see that and I'm going to talk to this person. Okay, yeah, but, but that doesn't mean I live in that place. It means, no, okay. It might happen, it might not. I'll do what I can to make it happen if I need to. The future is yet to happen, and there really only is the moment you were in. Stop wishing the day away, the week away, the season away. Stop saying, when this is all over, it'll be well. There's just now. This moment, right now, is all there is. When you learn to enjoy it, it's beautiful. Find peace, rest, grace, mercy in your present moment, wherever that is and wherever you find yourself. All can be well in your present moment, but first you have to be present to the one who is present in the moment. Trap number two, the comparison trap. We are terrible at comparing ourselves to everybody else or our past self or our future self. We are terrible at it. And it's completely unhelpful. In fact, Paul says this in Galatians, we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us is better or another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Love that line. Each of us is an original. 
You see, it's actually completely impossible to compare yourself to anyone because no one is the same. You were created an original. So guess what? You compare yourself to anybody else, you're going to come off either better or worse because you're different. I was created to be different to you and different to every other person on the planet. So comparing myself to anyone else is a complete waste of time. Once again, tell me what good came of comparing yourself to someone else. Did it help you in a joy, peace, grace, goodness, and love? Every time you compare yourself to somebody else, you deny the unique person God created you to be. You deny your unique past, your unique journey, your unique present, and your unique future. And since you're an original, and I am an original, then how could we ever do it anyway? And you'll always come off worse because most people manage to look for, they manage to beat themselves up over it. Because we're back to the whole, I'm going to beat myself up. So you end up coming off worse, but then you're comparing yourself with somebody who's had a different journey, a different past, a different present, a different future, and they started off different anyway. Maybe, maybe this is a better way to live. Make a careful exploration. This is the next chapter on in Galatians. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Okay. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. So that's your task, okay? In every season, it's really important. We keep making a careful exploration of who we are because we are meant to be continually growing at the measure and stature of Jesus. And in every season, there's work to be done in exploring who we are and how God made us to be. And then it says, and the work you have been given. Well, that work might be a paid job with various responsibilities. It might be um, an unpaid job with various responsibilities. It might be, excuse me, that because of your unique journey, um, you are not able to have a job in a traditional sense, but you've got work to do nonetheless. Perhaps for now there's no work for you to do. Perhaps you're in a season of parenthood or grandparenthood, which actually is probably the hardest work there is, so don't beat yourself up over that. But whatever it is, let's make sure we've made a careful exploration of who we are and the work we've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Sink yourself into it. Once we've worked out that, let's throw ourselves into it. Let's not be constantly seeking for ways out or complaining about where we find ourselves or wishing it were different because there is a place that God has got you, and for this season, this is what you're meant to do. Okay, well, now crack on and do it then. Now work out what it is and then crack on and do it. And that might be working on yourself. Okay, great. Crack on and do it. That might be, I'm doing this now, I'm doing that now, I'm doing the other now. But again, we spend so much time going, oh, I can't wait till we get here. That we're not present to where we are. Or, I wish it were back there. But we, I can't kind of even get out of me that like this place is okay. You are where you are. That's okay. Wherever you're at, that's fine. And however challenging it is, that's fine. And however difficult it is, that's also okay. But whatever you're doing, throw yourself at it. But what most of us do, we don't throw, use our energy to throw ourselves where we're at. We throw our energy into wishing we were back there or over there. Okay, but that doesn't change anything. Nothing changed. You just wasted a ton of emotional, spiritual, and mental energy and got nowhere. You might not like where you're at. Okay, yeah, but that's where you're at. You might want to do something to move into it, but still you're going to have to move from where you are. 
Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best. This is beautiful. The creative best you can. Not the creative best your neighbor does. Not the creative best the person you look up to does. Not the creative best your family members do. The creative best you can. What does it mean for you to do the best you can at day? And so I, I find these two questions really helpful in developing grace in myself. I'm asking them more and more of myself. What does success look like today? And what's the best version of me I can bring to day? Because for some people, success looks like getting out of bed. If you're struggling hugely with depression, to get out of bed and have a shower and put some clothes on, hey, that's success. Fantastic. Well done. That's wonderful. No, it is really. It's fantastic. That's fantastic. That might be the best version of you. I've actually put some soap under my armpits. Fantastic. Great. That's ace. Not really. The best version of you might be somewhat different for that. Success might look different. And success looks different day to day. You know, when was it? A few Fridays ago. I had a few things lined up. It was quite a full day. And it was, it was a brilliant day. It was like everything. Like, it was like flipping egg. It's like, God, we're all over these things. And just stuff happened. It was, it was beautiful. It was amazing. And then Tuesday morning I woke up. Oh, I felt like a grumpy old man. I mean, full on grumpy. Honestly. And I thought, what's going on here? This is a bit weird, I think. And I, I just thought, okay, well. But I'm learning to go, okay. And of course, I'm going, Lord, is, is there any reason I'm grumpy? You know, could just be like, you know, it was dark when I woke up and it was dingy and it was wet and it felt miserable outside. That's enough to make me feel grumpy some days. Okay. I'm not feeling on top of the world. I'm not feeling like this go getting, I can do it all. Woohoo! We're going to do some ace things for Jesus. It was like, oh, I just need to get through it there. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'm just going to get through it there then. And I did. And it was beautiful. And I still got some stuff done. It wasn't as productive as Friday. It wasn't as, I didn't see the breakthroughs. I didn't see some of the prayers answered that I saw on Friday. But hey, it's okay. That's all right. Now, now here's the key thing this, this is not. These questions are not a place for you to go, okay, well, I've just got to accept where I am and I'm never going to change and I ain't got no faith. No, no, let's loop back to faith and trust. Okay, what, what, what does it look like with the faith you've got? What does success look like today? With the faith you've got, what does it look like? And with what God's put in you, what does it look like? What does success look like with the way I am? But you've got to start where you're at. You know, if... I don't know, and it looks different, doesn't it? You know, success might mean managing to get all three kids at school on time. That might be success today. Hey, fantastic. Well done. Success might be only shouting at me four times, because yesterday it was seven times. No, but really, this is what I'm talking about. Let's be real about it. I don't know what it means to you, but I... I find these questions just really helpful. Okay. And just, okay, what does it look like? What does it look like from where I am? And I, and I want it to be better than yesterday based on where I'm at. But that just means, it do not mean, you know, oh, well, you know, yesterday was a terrible day with the kids at home, but today we're going we're gonna to do seven crafts, bake five cakes, go to three coffee shops and meet eight people. Okay, well, now you've just been an idiot. Sorry, but you are. Because you're just going to ruin your whole day. So let, 
let's, let's learn to just have a bit more grace for ourselves. And in doing so, you'll find you'll have grace for everybody else around you as well. Which is a beautiful thing. Because then guess what? You're becoming like Jesus. And people will love it. So, what does the success look like today? What's the best version of you you can bring today? Add a bit of faith into it. And go with that. I honestly think this ability to um, accept where we're at in the moment and have grace for ourselves is absolutely key right now. It really is key. And um, I want to encourage you that when you're together, when you're talking with each other, when you're talking first, just talk about it. Ask yourself the question, what does it look like to have grace for me today? Talk about it together. Express it together. Where do I need to stop beating myself up? And again, not that you stay there, because you're going forward. But you don't need to beat yourself up over it. Okay. Amen.